This is Franz. Welcome back to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. Today, I've got a little bit of business to take care of. Uh, first of all, Ricky, uh, you asked about getting to the Mediterranean, uh, whether to go through the canals or whether to go around Portugal by way of the Bay of Biscay. Uh, after uh, reading your email and the podcast last week, I contacted a man by the name of Jules. I met Jules on the island of uh, Mijet in Croatia in 2011. He and his wife had brought their boat from England through the French canals and down into the Mediterranean and taken it uh, all the way up through Croatia. I think they'd been gone maybe a year or so. Maybe not. Maybe it was just that summer. But anyway... Jules sent me um, a log, including a lot of photographs of his trip through the canals, including some maps and the route he took. And I contacted Jules for a couple reasons. Uh, First of all, he sent me this in a uh, CD format because it was a big file. It was over a 100 megabyte file, and he didn't want to try to send it to me by email. I converted that to a PDF document and emailed it back to him. And I also asked him if he'd be a guest on the podcast. He said he would. I'm just trying to schedule a time to uh, to talk to him. But he had a great story to tell. He did a, a lot of work. He's a member of the, what is it, the uh, British Sailing Club, the Cruising Club, uh, the British Cruising Club. I'm not sure exactly the name of it. He suggested I join it, but I haven't. Um, anyway, he, he said that I could publish his his account of sailing through the canals, and I've got a page ready to go. But also in his email to me, he said he wanted to, he was thinking about possibly making it into a book. And so I'm concerned. I don't want to publish something that he might want to sell the material. So I've sent him an email and sent him a link to the page, the first chapter of what would be a multi-chapter uh, posting of his story to get his approval before I post it. Also, even though he said I could put the PDF up, I don't think I want to because that's basically a story. So once I get his okay, if I do get his okay, I'll start posting some of his content on sailing through the French canals. And it's nice. It's well-written. It's well-illustrated. It's a good story. And I'd be be glad to share that with my listeners and the people that check out my website from time to time. So I'm waiting to hear back from Jules. But nonetheless, um, Ricky, he said that I could give you his email and you could contact him directly if you want to. And I'm sure he would be glad to uh, uh, send you the copy of the PDF of, of his log through the canals. That might help you along the way. So I'm going to insert this little side note. Uh, While I was doing this podcast, I got an email, and I read it after I got done with the podcast, so this is going to be inserted sort of in the middle of the podcast. But uh, Jules sent me an email saying, hey, um, go ahead and post, uh, post what he liked. He said, Franz, I apologize for being slow in replying. Thanks for all the work you've done. I'm very impressed. I regret I've never got around to learning about how to make PDF files. And so, yeah, he said, yes, a chapter at a time seems a good idea. And then he offered to pay me for my work, or at least a portion of the earnings that he would make by selling his um, total book. Now, what, what he plans on doing, and, and I'm going to help him with this, is I told him about a service called Gumroad, which allows 
people that create content, such as what he's done with this book on sailing the French canals, to upload it in a PDF format, or if you've produced a video to upload the MP4 format or any format, any digital format that you want to try to make money on, uh, Gumroad will uh, post it. It'll give you a widget, and they'll take care of the transaction. You can put in the price that you want to receive for it, and uh, they'll take, I think, 25 cents and then 5% of the total price. And I'm using this on my uh, Series 7 podcast to try to monetize some of the training material I'm putting together on that podcast. So I told him about that. And so what I think he's going to do is he's going to put the full PDF file uh, on uh, on the on Gumroad, and then he's going to give me a, a text widget or widget that I will put on his posts, so that if you want to buy the full uh, the full edition of his book uh, without having to print it out from the uh, from the internet, he's going to have a low price on that that you can do that, and I'll just uh, help him with that. And uh, no, I don't want to get any of the money for it. All I have to do to make a PDF file is click a button and it's created. That's all there is to it because I own the software. Uh, so Jules, don't worry about that. And he also gave me some time to uh, to do an interview. So it looks like next week, uh, Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Friday, we're going to be conducting uh, an interview. And I'll try to get that posted. So check out the website, uh, www.medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. And in the next, uh, probably in the next day, I will have a full menu item on the first chapter of his uh, travels through the French Canal. So I'm just going to sort of insert this into my podcast. Sailing the French Canals has always been one of the things I've wanted to do. I have a friend, Roger, who sails with me pretty much uh, whenever he has a chance. But he's chartered canal boats in Ireland several times and had a great time on those. So that's out of the way. Now, next, I'd like to ask some of my listeners to go on to iTunes and give me five-star ratings and also write some comments on the ratings for the podcast. I'd appreciate that. It helps. It gives me motivation. I got an email from one of the listeners this week just saying he enjoyed my podcast and thanks me for putting them out. And I appreciate that. It's a labor of love, not a labor of profit. Uh, you know, every dog needs to be uh, patted once in a while, right? I've added some new content to the website. I've been playing with it, trying to optimize it for search engines, traffic. And I've also included a lot of information from my book, bareboat yacht chartering in Turkey. And I've posted a lot of photographs and the first couple chapters of the book. And as as well, I've done some more, added some more pages, some more content. Hopefully it'll be valuable. If you, the listener, if any of you listeners have some content that you've created that you think might be of interest to the other listeners or readers of the website, I'm not stealing it. I'm glad to give you credit for it. If you have information that you'd like to have posted, send it to me. And if it's good material, I'll create a uh, menu page and we can start posting it. I'd like to be this uh, information exchange as much as possible. Yesterday, I went to a meeting here in Utah and I belong to an angel investing group. And I don't know how many of our European listeners know what these are, but these are early-stage investment groups that invest in very early-stage startup companies. 
I'm in the investment business. Even though this is high-risk investing, I look at companies. I like to look at companies. I like to see the entrepreneurs that are coming out. And at this uh, this uh, meeting, there were, I'm looking at the schedule right now, one, two, three, four, five companies that presented. And there was one company that came out with a great product. They had a working model, a working mock-up uh, to prove the technology. But this company had created a product that will it's being marketed it's going to be marketed for the GoPro video cameras now these GoPro video cameras are small video cameras high definition video cameras that sports enthusiasts can mount on their helmet if they're skiing or mount on uh, their, their motorcycle if they're motorcycling and I have a friend in California all right wh- where was I well this company um I think I was talking, okay, I was talking about this product that I thought was going to be a great product. Now, I'm just sort of passing this information on because it's part of my life, and maybe you're interested, maybe you're not. You can always fast forward through these podcasts. But this company had come out with a product that's going to be marketed for the GoPro video cameras. These are sports cameras, very small sports cameras that create wonderful technology. Oh, and I was saying about a friend in California of mine that had built some model sailboats, uh, two of them identical sailboats to the design of my boat, and mounted these GoPro cameras on them, and they were radio-controlled sailboats, and had created some great videos using these little cameras. But anyway, this product is designed to be used with a GoPro video camera, and it could be used with an iPhone or even another small video camera. It's not specific to the GoPro, but that's the biggest market for it. And it will basically follow the subject. So you can mount the GoPro video camera on your helmet. Of course, mount this this device on your helmet, which is basically a pan and pivot uh, servo motor mechanism. And the subject that you're wanting to follow, that person will have a couple either infrared sensors or RFID chips uh, in his pocket or infrared sensors on his body, and the camera will track the movement of that person. I don't know if you've watched any of my videos, but basically what I've had to do where I'm actually in the videos, I set the video up on a tripod and then step in front of the camera, and I'm pretty much stuck right there. With this device, I could be walking around, and the camera would follow me. There would be no need for a cameraman in that case. And they're designing this so that you could have multiple cameras tracking multiple people. And I just thought this was such a neat technology. It was small. It's going to be about uh, maybe a little smaller than the video camera that sits on top of it. It's going to be waterproof and weatherproof and I'm, I'm really thinking about maybe investing in the company. I like to see entrepreneurial activities. And that's one of the reasons I belong to this angel investing group here is just to see the companies. I'll probably see probably 50, around 50 startup companies will make presentations to the group over over the year. We typically review about four or five companies uh, a month. And then of those four or five, we will call back for additional information at a, a general meeting uh, about a week later, two weeks later. And then decide if we're interested in investing in the company as a group. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that pass, pass that on, you can be looking for a product like that. My guess, it should be out on the shelf in the next, uh, oh, probably within the next year would be my guess. 
Since this podcast is about sailing in the Mediterranean, I thought I'd talk about how I got to the Mediterranean and maybe about the first year of my sailing through the Mediterranean. Now, this is in 1997, so my memory is good in some parts and not so good in other parts. But when my crew sailed with me from the, this is my second crew, my first crew abandoned me in the Azores. And my my second crew sailed with me from the Azores to Portugal. And they got off uh, in Lagos, Portugal, and had to fly back to the States from there. Now my family was going to meet me in Seville, Spain. This had already been arranged. The tickets had already been bought. Plans had already been made. And so I needed to get the boat from uh, Lagos, Portugal, uh, up to Sevilla. And then I was going to pick them up in in Madrid. So... I sailed from Lagos, Portugal, down to the little town of Porto Mayo, Portugal. And, and my boat, like I've told you before, I have a wind vane, and then I have an uh, electric auto helm. Uh, it's an auto helm 2000. So my crew left me in Lagos, and I sailed, oh, I guess it was uh, that evening I sailed, uh, I've got Google Earth out, uh, about the 10 miles down the coast to Porto Mayo, and went up the river and found an anchorage spot. And as I was going across this seven miles, um, my auto helm, my electric auto helm, quit working. Of course, now I had no crew, and I depend heavily on my auto helm, especially when I'm single-handed sailing. So when this occurred, I re- immediately dropped my anchor when I got to Porto Mayo, walked in and found a phone and called my secretary up and said, Hey, get on the phone, order me a new auto helm from West Marine and have my wife bring it out with her. That was done. Uh, Then I went back to the boat, and I thought, well, hell, what am I going to do now? Because I've got to get it over to Seville. All right, I'm going to ignore that. So ignore the phone ringing if you can hear it. I went back to the boat, had a couple glasses of port, because I was in Portugal, and I just said, well, let's just take this apart. There's no harm done by taking it apart and seeing if I can fix it. So I took it apart, uh, this is the control box, and lo and behold, it was such an easy fix. It was just a screw that had come loose from the Fluxgate compass inside the container. So I put it back together, tested it out, it worked fine, and it continued to work fine for another 10 years. So my wife brought over a spare auto helm. It sat on the boat for 10 years, and when this final auto helm, you know, my original auto helm, died as I was pulling into Santorini one year, I pulled the spare one out, and lo and behold, it didn't work. So that's another story I'll tell it later on. So anyway, at Puerto Mayo, I got up the next morning very early, uh, sailed all day long. It was um, no wind, so I was motoring. Motored all day long uh, towards Sevilla. Uh, all day long, all night long. Uh, the actual distance, let me figure it out here for you was about 121 nautical miles over to the entrance to the river that would take me up another 50 miles into Sevilla. So that was a long day. I I motored all day long, all night long. As I was approaching the coast, it was very early in the morning. It was still uh, dark outside, and I didn't want to approach this coast uh, in the dark. So I hove to and put out my anchor light and tried to go down and go to sleep, but I wasn't able to. Uh, The next morning as the sun came up, I continued on, motoring on up, went into the entrance to the river, and as I was approaching the river, I saw 
a big ship just sitting there on the horizon, just sitting there. As I got closer and closer and closer, I realized it was uh, on the beach. I don't know how long it had been there, but it was there and had been there for quite a while. The coast is shallow there, and it apparently had got caught in a storm and been blown up on the beach. So I cleared into Spain and then continued up the river to Sevilla. And the river is just beautiful, just gorgeous. Uh, You go through a bird preserve, and then you go by all these pastures, and you have a lot of the bulls that they raise for um, bullfighting along those pastures. There's some fishing vessels that ply the river and catch fish. And it was just a delightful motor up the river to Sevilla. But, of course, I'd been up at this point in time basically about, oh, 40 hours without really any sleep at all. But I approached Sevilla uh, just as it uh, was going, getting dark. I was able to get through a lock. There's actually a lock outside Sevilla that you have to go through to get into the city. And it was interesting. I was 50 miles up the river, and the lock actually lowered me about six inches to get into the, uh, the, the river that surrounds Sevilla. I was exhausted and so there's a marina just just around the corner from the lock, and I pulled in there and uh, tried to go to sleep. And as Im- immediately as soon as I pulled in there and tried to go to sleep, I was attacked by a million mosquitoes. I finally just let them start biting me. I just was so tired I went to sleep, and they they feasted on me all night long. So I spent about two or three weeks in Sevilla. And it was still, of all the places I've been in Spain, one of my favorite cities. It was, it's a beautiful city, a wonderful city to visit. I tied up right next to the waterfront, uh, just right next to some gardens. But it was hot. It was hot. It was so hot that uh, during the day during siesta, I would go look for a place that had air conditioning. And the only place I could find in the town that was open during siesta was the big department store, Cortez Inglés. And I would go in there and just walk around just to get out of the heat in the middle of the day. There is no escaping it on my boat. Now, I know a lot of boats have air conditioning. My boat doesn't. Family joined me. We went back down the river. A couple fish jumped on the deck as we were going down the river. And we cl- then we continued on down to the town of Cadiz. And we stayed in a marina at Cadiz. And I took a day to go up and visit Porto Sherry uh, near Santa Maria and visited a bodega there. So I had port, port in Portugal and Sherry in Spain. So we continued on down to Barbate. We went around Trafalgar and into Barbate. There's a little marina just around the corner. But as I approached Barbate, they had a lot of fishing nets basically blocking off the entrance to the marina. And these were the fishing nets. I'd never encountered this before. But these are the nets that they put basically to create a maze to force the fish into a killing compound. So off the coast, they build these massive, basically these, these paths for fish to swim in. And they swim into uh, an area, and then they close off the entrance and then capture the fish. I think this is for black bluefin tuna primarily. But to get around this, we had to, it was like trying to find a, a route through a maze and we got in there and we were able to eventually find a spot in there then from Barbate we went and sailed through the Straits of Gibraltar and into the town of Gibraltar where we spent about a week and I 
at that point in time, I put up a roller furling on my boat, and we spent about a week in Gibraltar. I got tired of Gibraltar, would walked around. Um, the town would climb the mountain, would done everything, and we were there when Britain was handing over Hong Kong to China, sort of a historic day. So we got the roller furling working, and we cleared back out of Gibraltar and headed up into Spain. Now, years later, I was at the Sundance Film Festival, and I met a man who was the head of the motion picture department at Kodak. He told me a story because he had to go back and forth, and he was, he was British, and he had to go back and forth between Gibraltar and Spain quite a bit for his job years ago. And he said one time he was sitting in his car on the Spain side waiting to cross the frontier into Gibraltar and there was a man dressed in a uniform going from car to car to car and as he got to a car he would ask for money and then put a tag under the windshield. People were thinking this was some sort of a pre-entrance into Gibraltar. So he got to my friend's car, his his name was John Mason, and he said, uh, bugger off. And without missing a beat, the guy just uh, put a tag underneath his windshield wiper and continued on to the next car. Well, it was basically this guy was a bum going from car to car to car. And he got out and he looked at the ticket that he'd put under his windshield wiper. And it was just a, a used up lottery ticket. But the man had a real scam going there. People would give him money for used lottery tickets, uh, assuming he was some sort of an official which he wasn't. Anyway, we left Gibraltar and headed up to a little town called Estepona, just up the coast, about 10 miles. And as we pulled into Estepona, the wind started blowing. A big storm started coming in. And we thought, well, we didn't really know what to do. I mean, there's nothing you can do. You just basically wait for uh, the wind to moderate. So we were stuck in this, this marina for about, I think it was about four or five days. But just outside of the marina, there was a big arena. Um, basically, I guess it was a, a, a bullfighting arena. And we went by there, and they were having an ex- exhibition. And so we bought tickets to it, and they were it was a horse exhibition. And they had wonderful demonstrations of horsemanship, uh, multiple ways, many horses, single horses, carriages. Uh, we had a lot of fun watching that. Then back to the boat, and we're sort of sitting around, and... A boat next to us, they got in later on that night, and he said, what are you doing? He said, oh, there's a big festival going on. And lo and behold, if we just continued down the road a little farther on, there was a huge festival going on, continued on all that week. There was dancing in the streets. There was flamenco dancing. There was everything you could imagine. It was wonderful. So we had a wonderful... So Estepona turned out to be one of our favorite memories of that summer. And we would have spent one night in Estepona and continued up the coast had we not found out about this festival that was going on. I've got photographs that are old analog photographs that I need to digitize of some of the activities, the pictures, the colorful dresses the women were wearing that were going on at the festival. It was just a a wonderful memory, a wonderful experience. So we got back in the boat, continued on when the wind finally moderated and sailed on up to uh, Alcantara. Now, when you're sailing the Spanish coast, basically there's very, very few places to anchor. So you're going from marina to marina to marina. So we basically, uh, there's no reason to go through every one of the 
towns that we stopped at. I'm just going to hit on a few of the highlights. But we stopped at uh, San Pedro Alcantara, then we stopped at Marbella, and we continued on up, and we stopped at Fuengirola, and then we stopped at Toro Molinos, and then Malaga, and then to Mot- at Motril we found a safe anchorage, and we got on a bus and went up and visited Granada. Now, as I recall, at Motril, my parents joined me. So now we had my wife and I, my two daughters, and my parents on a very small 28-foot boat. You put up a lot with family that you wouldn't normally put up with uh, with just friends. But from Motril, then we continued on up to Almira. From Almira, we went around the corner into a tiny little anchorage called San Jose. At San Jose, we got stuck there for a couple days, again, due to weather. But the boat next to us had a Spanish family on board, and they were making paella. And they invited us over for paella. That was my first experience at eating paella. A nice little village, sort of out of the way. You'd have to make a real effort to get there. But there seemed to be a little bit of tourist trade. From San Jose, we headed on up the coast. And I think our next stop was a long hop for that day. I think our next stop was uh, the town of Cartagena. We may have had a couple stops in between, but I'm looking at Google Earth and I don't see any anchorages between the two. So I think we had a long day to get to Cartagena, which was a very, very interesting, beautiful port. Now, if you've ever read any of the uh, Horatio Hornblower books or the Patrick Henry books, um, a lot of these places are featured prominently in all the old British sailing books. So it was a very historic port. Cartagena was a very strategic port. We spent several days there, uh, and I think that's where my parents got off the boat. In fact, I'm sure it was. That was where they got off the boat. They'd been with us uh, at least a week, maybe a little longer when we got there. Well, from Cartagena, we went around the corner, and I entered the this inland lake uh, near San Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R. And you have to time yourself to get in here. You have to go through a bridge that has to open up. But there's a passage through here. You have to wait for the bridge to open up. And you go in, and there's a a marina right in there. And then there's an inland lake. And immediately I jump in the water and go swimming, and it's just full of of jellyfish. Not stinging jellyfish, but just jellyfish. Um, I didn't really spend much time sailing around this lake. It looked fairly shallow. Um, But apparently it's a a pretty popular uh, vacation spot. From there, we sailed up to Tour Vieja and then Alicante. And uh, then from Alicante, we went up to this just ugly, ugly, ugly real estate development called Benidorm. And then waited for a weather window and then sailed out to Ibiza and Formentera. Sailed around there for a while and then came back. And I put the boat up in Santa Pola, which is just south of Alicante, for two years. Now, that was my first year. The family sailed with me for a couple months. And I took five months off that year uh, to take my boat across the Atlantic and then spend my time working my way up the Spanish coast. My overall impression of Spain, we took a lot of time uh, along the side and, and did a lot of internal travel in Spain. And I absolutely loved the internal part of Spain. We went to Segovia, Salamanca, 
uh, Granada. Uh, we visited a lot of cities inside of Spain, all over, you know, uh, Madrid. We didn't get up to northern Spain, but the coast of Spain, in my opinion, has been ruined by real estate development. Uh, big, ugly concrete flats uh, have pretty much what, you know, what ruined what was once a beautiful coastline. Now, for sailors, the coast of Spain doesn't hold that much appeal to me if you like to anchor out. If you like to go from marina to marina to marina, it's great. But you are locked into going from marina to marina to marina. Now, once you get out to the islands, the Balearic Islands, it changes. There's places to anchor out there. and Maybe I'll talk about that in the next podcast. I'm not sure if this is of interest to my listeners or not. I mean, this is just my story, and I would really rather uh, interview other people that have more more in-depth knowledge of it. But that was my summer in Spain. I like Spain. I like the Spanish people. Uh, I would find it very hard to be a Spaniard. I tend to go to bed early at night and get up early in the morning, but the Spaniards don't even get going till 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night, and they'll stay up all night long. And then uh, they'll take a siesta during the day, and I can't take a siesta during the day. I'm awake during the day. But we would drive through these big cities as we were driving through Spain. If it was during the siesta, you would swear that nobody lived in these cities. There would not be a soul on the sidewalk. You could zip right through these cities, and you would think they're ghost towns because there would be nobody out. It was such an interesting lifestyle, so different than what I'm used to. But I... I really enjoyed the interior of Spain. I haven't been back again. Uh, well, I did go back to put the boat in the water and, and sail over to Sardinia a couple years later. But I would be glad to go back to Spain again. I, I enjoyed Spain. I think it's a beautiful country. The people are great. I did not, I did not like the ham. The people in Spain rave about their ham. I, was, I never developed the taste for the, the ham. You'd go into a bar and there would be a big ham sitting on the counter and that slice you off a slice of ham, and I didn't think the ham was particularly good. I think it's an acquired taste. You either grow up liking it or don't. And I know people rave about the hams in Spain, but I never developed that taste myself. That's going to be it for this podcast. I really don't have much to talk about. I'm going to have to do some serious editing on this to tighten it up a little bit. I appreciate your letters. I appreciate your notes. Oh, one other, one other thing. I'm uh, working on my summer schedule. There was a man from Israel that wrote me a letter uh, asking that if, he, if, if I had an opening in my summer schedule, that he would like to go sailing with me. I've lost that letter. I'm not sure if I have an opening or not, but send me another note if you listen to this podcast so I at least have information. I'm, I've sent out invitations to my clients to see if they're going to join me. I've got one, two, three, three and a half of the five crews full for the summer, but there may or may, there may be an opening, I, but at least I'd like to have that letter. So send me your email contact again, your contact information again, so I at least have it on file. And if there's anybody else out there that might want to go sailing, you can, you can send uh, a note to me as well. I appreciate you listening. Uh, check out the website, make good comments for me on iTunes, and hopefully I'll put together another one of these podcasts next week.